This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis on this very blizzardy day with this special interview with a guest we've had previously to discuss the recent Minnesota Nurses Association MA members ratifying a new contract for 15,000 nurses across Minnesota and many other healthcare related topics. One word not explained right away is travelers, which are traveling nurses who usually work for nursing agencies and work in a given workplace for a short period, usually weeks or months at a time. This means they don't typically work at one hospital long term. Now, here is our interview. So, on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. You've been on to talk to us before. You want to just tell folks again who you are? Yeah, I'm Danielle Gilbert. I'm a nurse. I work at Methodist Hospital in PACU Pre-Op in OR. All right. Yeah, there. <laughs> I was just actually thinking back. I was just looking at stuff, and there's a lot of stuff we could cover. Or um, Obviously, there's you know the contract. There's the merger there's just the whole situation in the hospitals overall i know there was different uh, issues of discrimination we discussed so i don't know where where do you have somewhere that you think we should start let's let's start with the contract and what we want i can kind of yeah that would be a great place to start that. so you yeah. so the contracts at 15 facilities i think were ratified uh, yesterday mm-hmm. or a couple days ago yeah, so tell us what uh, what are some of the highlights from the contract? What did nurses win? <clears throat> yeah, so let's see. December 6th is when we all settled. I know St. Luke settled first at 17% over three years. So it's 7%, for 6% wages. and 5%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for wages, yep. And then um, five, six hours later after they settled, then the rest of the hospital settled and we all got 18%. Okay. So I think my, my, my math was a little wrong for St. Luke's, but for us, it was 7%, 6%, 5% wage increase for... So that's over the three, yeah, year, the next three years, years of the contract. So that's yes. that percentage each year. That, yeah, that's... Uh, so it's not quite, it's uh, not quite uh, where we want it to be, but, uh, you know, given everything that came together for the contract and the fact that, you know, 20, day, uh-huh. 20 days out in the cold... Uh, yes. you know, was uh, not probably the most uh, <laughs> favored yes. uh, outcome, I'd imagine, and also, you know, not being able to take care yes. of patients, of course. Yes, for sure. It sounded like we had a lot of leverage just because children, they were going to send their their patients out to as far as Colorado because right. they could not find any nurses at all, and all the hospitals were completely full around us. Um. And once you get so, past the wages, it sounds like there's yeah. a lot of other good uh, steps on, on things. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see. Short-term disability that we will have available 2024. So we can sign up with our benefits. You'll pay like monthly, whatever it is, 10 bucks a month or something like that. Um, and it is available first day of employment, no waiting period, and it covers 60% of your income for 80 days. Right. So... Yeah, that's so it's kind of like a vehicle towards family leave. 
so it's it's progress yeah that was that was a big one that we won um some language with staffing it's not um everything we wanted but we're gonna get quarterly grid reviews where they um look at the staffing ratios that we have and see if they're efficient enough right um and then being able to do root cause analysis with um, any safety issues that occur or falls or whatnot and see what the root cause of it is. And hopefully they find that staffing is the main issue. It's a big issue. I mean, <laughs> anybody that's uh, been on the units knows that it's a, a big issue. But yeah, if we can get the data to back that up, that's always good. I know, I know. Um, I think there were, there was some, in, uh, there was some stuff about, um, mutual agreement around any lowering of those staffing grids, which again, just for folks listening are, uh, are the grids that are used to essentially decide how many patients each nurse, uh, can take, uh, or how many, you know, how they divide up the, the patient load for nurses and support staff on a given unit. Yes, they are not allowed to lower ratios without the union's approval. And that mean, meaning giving more patients to a smaller number of nurses. So staffing with a smaller yes. number of nurses on a given shift with a given number of patients. Yes, exactly. I, I believe there's some language around diversity, inclusion that sounded like it was good in there. I think there was some raises and um, like an increase for charge pay. Yes, we did get $3 for charge pay and preceptor pay hourly. So that's an increase of so a dollar? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. good. Um, it is, it is, it is good. And then on-call pay, I believe it'll be like $12 an hour now instead of the seven twenty-five. So it's, it's right. better. That's, quite um, a, that's considerably better, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Our hospital is going to create six designated resource nurses, um, like FTE positions for them. Um, and those are kind of like, they're a nurse that's a resource nurse on that unit. So they're supposed to be kind of readily available to assist with anyone, especially with all the new grads that we have now on every floor. Right. That will be a huge, huge win. Um, and they're not allowed to take assignments either. So they can't just plug them in when we're missing people. And let's see, vacation process. We're going to have vacationing reviewed by our staffing advisory committee instead of having our staffing department decide who gets vacation and who doesn't get vacation because it's not being dispersed evenly at all and people are being denied constantly. So just a different way of doing it um, that sounds more fair right? for sure did not get anything with a pandemic proposal. Mm. They were very tough. Yeah, we did not want to do anything with that. But there's a lot of stuff in there. There is a lot of stuff. And there's probably also yeah. other stuff that folks wouldn't necessarily un fully understand as far as uh, the details of, you know, anybody's given contract and different uh, procedures and rules that are already in place that, you know, are either strengthened or, um, you know, changed to fit the conditions a little bit better, et cetera. Um, or to be more flexible yep. for different nurses. So there's there's a lot of stuff in there. And I think, you know, what you mentioned before uh, is, a, is a key element of that whole um, calculus, which is you talked about the leverage, right? 
and that mm-hmm. and that's what we're mm-hmm. and that's what we're dealing with in any of these uh, struggles where we're trying to win something is that we have uh, leverage. Do you want to just touch on? Uh, I know you mentioned it briefly. Just what uh, you know, what the situation was, why they ended up coming to the table in the end. What was what was what was the big pressure there? Pressures. Yeah, um, three three weeks and over Christmas and um, New Year's. That's tough to find travelers. Travelers tend to kind of land their um their eight week stints or 16 week stints or whatever kind of around the holidays they tend to try to have christmas off they don't usually work it so it's um yeah there's not a huge pool of travelers um that and it's not very enticing to come to minnesota in the winter either (laughs) right yeah especially over christmas um, and of course the bosses did not want to work Christmas and they definitely would all have to be here. Um, I think that helped and just having, I mean, the COVID, the RSV, just our hospitals are completely packed. Yeah, there wasn't much wiggle room there and it's fourth quarter, meaning this is the time, this is their money-making season. Right. is right before, right, like when deductibles are met. So everyone's wanting to have surgery and get procedures done and whatnot, and this is this is the time to do business for them. So that, threatening to strike over that time gave us a lot of leverage. So, yeah, we did, we did get quite a bit. So, um, it's definitely progress, and we just got to hold them accountable. Right, yeah, and so, yeah, from what I... Uh... What I can tell, you know, there was a there was a lot of uh, a points you made there, but I think you know the the fact that they, unfortunately, or at least I'll, I'll just give my impression. I'm not uh, 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 affiliated with any of these contracts at the moment, anyway. So, um, you know, I mean, they they weren't really bargaining in very good faith uh, through the fact that they dragged their feet for so long and nothing was moving forward, and so that kind of came back to bite them in a in a certain way that they dragged it out so long. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that seems to be, that seems to me to be part of it. So, um, so they, you know, they kind of created their own perfect storm and then, you know, the, the nurses were within their rights to, uh, to say they were, they were going out and they, uh, you know, and just that, and just that, like you said, that threat of going out and, uh, the fact that the membership had already authorized, um, that strike and then, you know, all those things coming together that gave that leverage. Uh, that put nurses in uh, position to get management back to the table so that they could come to a deal. And again, you know, it's a negotiation process, right? And so, I, you know, like you said, uh, nurses may not have gotten, you know, every single thing that they were uh, asking for in that negotiation, but once management actually was in a position where they had to come and bargain in good faith and actually sit at the table and do some real negotiations, then uh, folks were able to hammer out a contract. Yep, exactly. So, and, uh, you know, it sounds like, uh, yeah, like you said, holding, holding them to their, uh, their word, you know, everything they write in the contract, obviously they can't go against, uh, the contract or they shouldn't be going against the contract, but, you know, sometimes the spirit of, uh, what's in the contract can mean different things to different people. And so sometimes, uh, you know, management will find ways to do, uh, things mm-hmm. that, uh, they try to do that might not be, might not be seen as in the spirit of the contract especially right after, uh, you know, folks get back to work. And so it's always key to, you know, in any workplace, really, uh, 
to make sure that you are holding folks to uh, uh, to their word and make sure that you're enforcing that contract right away. Uh, you know, to the to the letter and also the the spirit of what is uh, understood to be meant in that contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, like, you have any uh, tips on that front? Like, what kinds of things uh, do folks do when, uh, when, when um, there's co concerns know, in the contract, things aren't being uh, done properly by management? Yeah, um, I mean, grievances are kind of our only action as, like, a trade union. Right. Um, and they tend to just be a lot of paperwork for lower management that kind of just kind of gets lost in translation right. and is dealt with over a long period of time. It just, it kind of just weakens movement. Um, it's still a good tool and it still needs to be used for sure, but more direct action mm -hmm. is where you're going to, um, yeah, get more results for sure. So um, marching into your, manager's office with all of your coworkers and with whatever issue you have putting pressure on them that way. Yeah. Um, refusing to punch in unless there's safe assignments for everyone. I mean, that's, that's where you're going to get quick results and they'll know what nurses they can push and what nurses they can't. And if we um, all stand up together, it's just going to make our profession stronger. It, it just takes one person to be weak where it, um, kind of undercuts their profession. No, it's very true. It's, you know, yeah. And so the more we can uh, stand together, I, you know, I think, you know, as far as within hospitals and as far as nurses, but, you know, workers in general too, right? This applies that, you know, we, we need to be standing up for one another because there's a real drive to deprofessionalize, you know, not just nursing, right? And make it this uh, flexible yeah. workforce, but also, you know, teaching, um, you know, we've been hearing more about the railroad uh, recently and how they're trying to put more work on less folks and, um, you know, find ways to, uh, and again, it's kind of this uh, lean or just in time kind of mentality that a lot of places have that, uh, um, you know, they, they, they don't want anything extra. They don't want any extra staff. They don't want any extra supplies. They want to run, you know, as uh, minimally uh, as they can. And I'm sure that's something you got, uh, y'all see in the hospitals. I know it was when I was, uh, in the hospital last year and, uh, wor working in the hospital last year. And I can only imagine that it's still a huge issue. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they would love to outsource all of us. That would be like the ideal world for them just because travelers tend to be more submissive and they just don't have that power to reject um, any unsafe conditions just because they fear being canceled or blacklisted, um, you know, where they lose their job and then they're out a contract. Right. And then those hospitals communicate with other hospitals, letting them know, don't hire that nurse. Right. And they don't even have to say a reason. It just says, Understood. do not hire next to the name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, speaking of nurses standing together and, uh, you know, Fighting back, I know another thing that we had uh, talked about was this. Um, okay. I was calling it a merger. Is it a merger? Is it a buyout? The um, the kind of I know there's a Sanford Health is one of the things. Uh, you know that's kind of the new um, trajectory of healthcare. Unfortunately, um, in this world that we live in, <laughs> uh, is towards you know mergers, acquisitions, 
concentration of, of power, and now there's this uh, there's this new uh, merger happening. Yeah, and Stanford is. Yeah, and they're all non-union too. They're based out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I'm actually from Sioux Falls. Oh, okay. I didn't work there. I worked at Avera instead, but um, so, um, yeah, they expanded pretty quickly into North Dakota. Um, things like rural Wisconsin, rural Minnesota. Um, yeah, all non-union. So if they bought Fairview, it would just be a real imbalance of power, and I wouldn't be surprised if they. Um, just to undermine strikes that Fairview would have, I could see them like shipping their nurses to Fairview and just using them as cheap travelers. Right. Just because they don't have a contract. They don't have anything right. that protects them. I mean, they, they're at will employees. And so as soon as if they, you know, if they got in control, then it seems like as soon as they were in control of, uh, uh, any Minnesota hospitals, then they're going to be finding every way they can to undermine the union, to undercut the union, and to uh, yep. find new ways to pay as low as they can, basically. Yes, exactly. So, and that's, uh, you know, and, and you know, Minnesota, spe- you know, specifically is known as a place uh, that's known for healthcare, essentially. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And then you have this other organization coming in and trying to buy up Minnesota hospitals, you know, that's pretty concerning. Yeah, for sure. I I remember I chatted with a traveler that worked at the Sanford Hospital in North Dakota, and she told me that 80% of their staff were travel nurses. Wow. 80% of their staff. And that's how hospitals want to run. Right. Because they're never going to organize. Right. You can't organize travelers. It's just, it's very, very difficult. They could if they wanted to, but they tend to have short-term goals. Um usually kind of selfish goals where it's like financial freedom, which we all want. Right. Um, but yeah, that's tough to organize, you know, cause their mindset is, you know, I'm done in eight weeks. I don't even care about this unit. Does not matter? Right. Um, I don't need to do anything to change this mess. It's not my problem. I'm leaving. Right. Right. I mean, they don't have, yeah, they're not there for the long haul. So they don't have the, uh, you know, the incentive to change the environment. Mm-hmm. And they don't know about the environment. I mean, that's the other thing that, you know, people who may potentially be patients should give some pause to them at the very least is that when these traveling nurses come, they don't know those units uh, particularly well. Uh, right. I mean, they, they, they might be familiar with that type of unit, but the unit itself, um, you know, it's not like somebody that's worked on that unit for, for years and years and years who's familiar with all the logistics and supplies and everything else. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just a high expectation for a nurse. I mean, when they go into a brand new hospital, they're supposed to know all of the policies, all the protocols, and they're supposed to know the Nurse Practice Act for that state. I bet you money, majority of them do not know. Right. They maybe quickly review stuff before they jump in, but that, that's a lot of stuff to try to remember. And you just, and orientation in three days, right. very difficult. I, Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, i mean I'm, and another thing as far as the you know the staffing issue we mentioned there's some stuff in the contract that uh is there's a good uh, first step good first steps to start to move forward on this issue um of staffing but to me i think another thing you know we see that the um democratic party is going to be in control of uh, this what the media was calling the trifecta uh in um january so the the governor and both houses of the legislature, 
are going to be under control of the Democratic Party. So to me, you know, upcoming is a good mm-hmm. chance to push on a lot of these things. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily uh, uh, because I think it's going to necessarily be super easy with the Democrats in power. I think there's going to be um, resistance, at least among certain quarters of the Democratic Party. But because, you know, mm-hmm. these are people that have spoken out saying that they... Uh, they agree with us on a lot of these issues. And so, you know, if that's the case, then we should be saying to them, uh, you know, let's start moving on this. And staffing ratios or some kind of uh, form of uh, control uh, oversight for staffing for nurses, I think, needs to be part of that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, with our Nurse Practice Act, I feel like we already kind of have language that says, you are in control of your assignments. You can reject unsafe staffing. And we still have nurses that don't do that. Right. So it, it's more of a, I mean, how do we empower nurses to enforce the language that we do already have? Right. Because I think we we have pretty good language, like in our laws already to protect our license. Right. Um, and if we got a law that said you only could have four patients that's great. That would be amazing. But we still need nurses to enforce that. We're still going to have right. a corporate that's going to push more on us. Right. So it's, I, it would be great. It would just be an added layer of protection for sure. And just a, um, another way we can, we could pursue more like legally too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it comes down to just, I think, you know, I think one other thing that would be gained perhaps is that, um, yeah. you know, if there was this outside ratio like was mentioned you might see something like i've seen more um movement around some of the wage theft stuff recently for example a lot of these um bonuses that have been getting paid especially during the pandemic i know that there was um some nurses that i had spoken to that had recently uh reached out to to make some official um uh claims around not getting some of their bonuses some of their other pay during the uh uh the past period and then for example, I, th- I think it was the city of Minneapolis that was actually open to an investigation into um, into some of those wage theft claims. And so I think it might, you know, I, I don't know, but it, you know, potentially it could give more uh, of a chance for the state or whatever to actually have some yeah. oversight directly and go in and and take a look where these, you know, where claims are made that those, uh, you know, rules and policies aren't being uh, followed. Because it seems like right now that doesn't, happen very very much does it as far as like the state looking into staffing uh, issues and stuff uh i don't see it not at all i have i have complained to every type of resource i could possibly find including like the department of health and whatnot and they just make you jump through so many hoops to prove things right um yeah it's it's really hard yeah i haven't really i haven't gotten any action from anyone and I've, um, I've done the same. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's I'm sure that there's, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's probably at the very least dozens of other nurses that have done the same as in, you know, reached out to everyone that they can think of. Um, I just reached out to leg, uh, one of the legislatures that had, legislators that had gotten back to me recently about staffing, but they're leaving. So they're like, oh, you'll have to talk to the person that takes over for me. So that's... Uh, <laughs> Same kind of scenario. There's always something before it was, you know, the Republicans wouldn't let them. And now it's some, you know, of course it's somebody else. 
uh, is going to be taken over, so I will reach out to that individual that's taking over from them. But yeah, they make it a whole... Pro well, the same thing with OSHA around protective equipment during the, uh, you know, during the height of the first year of the pandemic. You know, they made you... they made you jump through so many hoops and basically try to convince you not to do anything, essentially. That was my impression from speaking to an OSHA representative. Okay. So it was pretty, uh, it was pretty rough. So I, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things on the table that uh, we could find some of these politicians have uh, attached themselves to or said that they support. So I think now uh, coming up, you know, in 20, starting in January of 2023, I think is going to be the time to try to uh, win some things. If there's a, a, a series of things that we think we need uh, at the state level uh, coming up, I think we should, uh, nurses, but lots of other workers as well, should go all in on, uh, on demanding a, you know, a transformation to make Minnesota work for working people. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can for sure get um, Sanford not to buy Fairview. I, I think that could be definitely so. on the table. I know I do too. I really hope so because I agree with you that's going to be very bad news. It's, yeah, so, it's scary for yeah. sure. I mean, you know, essentially potentially could throw out co people's contracts and things like that and have them renegotiate something since there's a new entity coming in. I, I w would think that's possible. Oh, yeah. It's did you did you ever read the article about Sanford hiring 700 foreign nurses by 2025 but uh, no i didn't <laughs> it's very disturbing um i'll send it to you but um so they're going to recruit nurses from like guatemala from mexico from i'm not even sure exactly where they're going to house them for three years um they will be nurses for the hospital um i'm sure they're going to feed them so much non-union propaganda Right. Um, and they're going to be very much at will employees where if they reject a unsafe staffing or unsafe conditions or say anything, I mean, they, they get deported. Right. Yep. Yeah. It's just, yeah. They want a captive workforce that they can control. And if, and if they can't find such a workforce uh, in the U.S. or it becomes more difficult, then they start looking all over to try to find those kinds of workforces that they can, you know, exert, uh, basically domination over. Yep. So. Exactly. And eventually like that high paying travel nursing crew will just dissipate. Um, yeah. Wages in general will drop and why aren't they able to do that with physicians and CRNAs and NPs? Um, I could see it being a trickle down. Right. I mean, and that's the thing I think, I mean, I think at least some nurses or some healthcare folks and definitely people in the general community don't understand is that, you know, they're using these travel uh, nursing positions to fill the gaps and stuff right now. And they're paying people a lot of money. But yeah, like you said, that is a way. And I, I think at least you hinted at that, that, you know, that's a way that they're going to try to break the unions. And then, you know, that's the other thing people don't necessarily realize that, you know, nurse, you know, nurses in other areas. In fact, I know nurses that have left union hospitals, they go to other places and they don't realize all of the, um, uh, you know, working conditions that are covered in that contract. In addition to wages, um, 
you know, and once the un you know, once they undermine the union and there's no contract, then they can pretty much set the wages across the board at whatever they want. And they can start to uh, implement all kinds of bad practices with very few uh, checks on their power. Yeah. I mean, right now, exactly. the nurses, especially the organized nurses, are like one of the biggest checks on the power of these uh, huge healthcare companies. Maybe not quite the only check, but sometimes it feels like it. Yeah, we're definitely the biggest thing that holds them accountable. Right. So it would be uh, it would be unfortunate if they were able to undermine uh, workers' unions and especially you know unions in healthcare, healthcare that we everybody's going to depend on it at some point. Yep, exactly. I am a patient also, so this is scary for my future. Uh, you know, one more thing. You know, I'll, I'll I'll open it up to see what else uh, we should talk about, if anything. But just one more thing you mentioned briefly when we were talking about the you know, what leverage uh, workers have at different times. You mentioned all the viruses that are in the hospitals right now. It's not just uh, COVID. It's not just flu, but there's, you know, RSV. You know, what is it like in the hospital right now? What are you seeing? But what are, you know, what are you hearing? And hospital-wide, how are things? Um, yeah, our, our ER is always completely packed. We have about 30 to 70 patients hanging out in the lobby every day. They stay boarded in the ER, meaning like they're just like in a cart in the hallway waiting to go to a room upstairs um, for up to three days. Um, we still are doing surgeries. We have not been doing as many surgeries as we usually do pre-COVID. Um, which is good, but we're still very much maxed out. Um, we do surgery and patients come out into PACU and I've had a patient sit with me for 10 hours before my entire shift, 10 hours That's before it. they got a room and they missed physical therapy, OT for that day. And you know, whatever cares, cause we don't do that in PACU. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a real disservice. And I'm, also not an inpatient nurse too. And that's a disservice for the patient. Also, I am, you know, a PACU nurse and that's my specialty. Right. Um, yeah. It's, you, just for folks that might not know, do you want to just give a quick rundown of what a PACU nurse is and why it's not an inpatient nurse or what, what exactly you do? Yeah. So it stands for post anesthesia care unit. So right after surgery, uh, when you're waking up, um, I monitor any type of side effects from anesthesia and just make sure pain is under control, nausea is under control, and you wake up nicely. Um, and depending on what surgery you've done, monitor any um, lab values or... I mean, in general, I mean, you have a specific set of skills that... Uh, you know, are yeah. similar in many of the cases, but you know, that's where your focus is. Right. And yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I just give narcotic pain medications, nausea medications, and it's all IV stuff that I'm giving. Right. And I have patients for two hours max. That is it. And then they are fully recovered from anesthesia and we send them to the next unit where they can start with recovery and, um, well, no, I think, you know, I'll just, I'll make the point. I think, you know, like you were saying, there's a few um, 
you know, very like very specific things that you're monitoring for, and then you're doing that over and over and over again, but you're getting people, you know, out of there pretty quickly, so you're not sitting with them for a long time. And unlike a, you know, a general med surge floor or something where you might have all kinds of things coming at you, uh, you know, at different times that you have to, to manage, that's not usually what you're dealing with. And it's, you know, you're certainly not, you know, in the emergency room where they got everything coming at them pretty much, you know, that's not... That's not the kind of kind of scenario that you're trained for, and that's not the kind of scenario that you're expecting, right? So, yep, exactly. And that's why holding onto a patient for so long gets you into uh, an area that is outside of your standard uh, expectations and what would be your standard expected uh, practice within that unit. Yep, exactly. So, but yeah, and so it feels it feels uncomfortable, <laughs> basically. I mean, that's. <laughs> It doesn't feel good and you don't feel like, you know, oftentimes in scenarios where you're being pushed to work outside of your typical, what would be your typical practice, you know, you feel like you're not providing the care to a patient that essentially that they deserve or that they should be getting um, because that's not your area of specialty like you mentioned. Yep. yep. And, and we can do yep. it. We're nurses, but that should not be the, um, the typical and it should not be just happening over and over and over again. It should happen, if anything, on a very, you know, on a rare occasion. That would be the idea. Yeah, and this is sadly our new norm. So it's just people can't get out of the hospital, like, in a timely manner now. Right. I mean, if you spend 10 hours in PACU, that's, that delays your discharge in general. Right. Because there's a lot of stuff they have to do once they get up to the floor. And then, you know, and of course, then when they get up to the floor, that nurse, you know, has to take over all that stuff and they're already probably way behind on stuff that should have been happening. So, um, you know, it just goes down the line. Yep. Do they even, do they even, does anybody even set expectations anymore for like, you know, as specifically, for example, we've got all these different viruses, uh, you know, just raging, uh, uh, all over the place, do they, you know, do they talk about what the, what they're expecting, you know, in January, you know, if there's going to be improvements in any of this stuff, what folks can expect, uh, as far as, um, you know, patient loads and stuff going forward, is anybody, do they even give updates or alerts on that stuff anymore, or is that kind of... They don't, they news. really don't tell us much of anything, um, they keep changing... COVID protocols, now if we take care of patients, like surgical patients that are going home the same day, they don't need COVID tests at all. Mm. They only need COVID tests if they're staying the night in the hospital. None of that really makes sense to me. Right. I think we should just test everyone. But, it, yeah, um, if you're COVID positive and asymptomatic, you don't have to be in an ISO room. It's just they're kind of making up stuff and it doesn't really make sense. Right. And that's, you know, and not to mention like not really having a lot of insight. I mean, that's the thing without, te uh, you know, the less people they're testing, the less insight you have into how many people are actually sick and you know, what's going on with the virus or whatever. Right. So, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. Is there, um, I think there was a few other uh, potential things. Is there anything else that you, uh, wanted to share about, um, you know, what's going on with the hospitals or uh, what we can expect going forward, what what uh, working people or nurses should know about uh, fighting for their rights? 
Um, Fairview, I know they kind of took this off their website now, but it was on there for quite a while. They wanted to make a high-end concierge care, um, thousand-bed, ultra-elite, non-union hospital. Mm. Was what they're planning on building. Um, so it's going to be healthcare for VIP patients. Um, and it'll be like a country club membership where you pay, I don't know what it's going to be like 200 grand a year or something like that. And you're going to get on-demand care 24 seven. You can text your doctor, call them anytime. And it's all specialties under one roof, same day appointments. If you can buy it, you can have it. And they will not take Medicare. They will not take Medicaid. They will not take insurance all out of pocket. And that's kind of been a nationwide trend is this concierge executive healthcare. Um, I know all of our hospitals in the Twin Cities, they do have a few doctors that are executive healthcare doctors. Mm. Um, to my knowledge, Fairview was the only one that was planning on building a hospital dedicated to that. I know Mayo has an entire floor that's dedicated to that. I think Fairview has some surgery center, fifth floor that's dedicated to that. Yeah. Um, it just scares me for the future. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing um, that general public probably isn't super uh, aware of if they aren't some rich person uh, is that they, uh, you know, not only, not only are many, many people uh, underinsured or uninsured, uh, or find, mm-hmm. you know, assur- insurance is not at all affordable, but now there's a whole nother tier that's been developed of, you know, people that aren't even going to bother with the, uh, the insurance piece of it are just going to get this, uh, fancy healthcare because they can pay for it. Right. Basically is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that they are siphoning their money towards that. Right. Um, yeah. Instead of the, the general population is just, it's just sad. Yeah. And then, you know, and because a lot of these hospitals got tax breaks and so they're supposed to provide a certain amount of quote unquote charity care. But I think, you know, there's been a number of uh, studies now or uh, examples now, not just in Minnesota, but other places where a lot of these uh, healthcare organizations aren't providing that uh, amount of care that would be expected for those uh, tax breaks that they got. Yeah, and I know hospitals have been called out for it, and there's kind of minor penalties for it, um, mm. some fees, but not really, not really anything that's going to break them at all. But this is definitely a loophole through all of that, where they can just bypass all Medicare like reimbursement guidelines in general for hospitals, mm-hmm. and they can just build a hospital how they want to build it, hire who they want to hire, pay what they want to pay, and charge whatever they feel like. Well, I guess I'll just end with, I don't know, have, you know, from a healthcare perspective, we've outlined a lot of uh, significant and I'd say critical issues. When you're thinking about this, what do you think is the most important thing that we need to do to, you know, to transform healthcare in, in Minnesota, but maybe, you know, maybe in this country or. Um, I mean, I, I really think just Medicare for all right. would be the best way to weaken these corporations and to make them not corporations. Otherwise, corporate healthcare is always going to put profit first. That's always going to be the goal. Health is never going to be the goal. It's not the goal now. It never was the goal. 
and it's just going to continue to not be the goal and it'll just get worse. Oh, we got to take the profit out of healthcare. And yeah, and I would say, you know, expand uh, uh, Medicare for all. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, things that could be improved about Medicare too. But yeah, if we could get everybody uh, in one place uh, so they could at least get some, uh, you know, base level of care and then we can start to work on improving that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And just having all healthcare professions unionized is a great way to weaken their power also. Yeah, more unions is good. I mean, I know I've seen some, you know, they don't even, they don't even treat doctors like healthcare professionals half the time in a lot of places anymore either. And I've even seen some places where, you know, doctors are finally getting unionized too. I think yeah, there was one sure. group in Chicago they're, they're, I saw at least, and there's been others. But Yeah, because they're, they're losing autonomy in their profession for sure. They do not own their profession anymore. I mean, they have 10 minutes to see each patient. Right. And they know that is not long enough. Right. And yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to see that some are organizing. I'm hoping to see some action like that in Minnesota. That would be amazing. Um, but it's, it's tough because, um, um, like with surgeons, like our cardiac surgeons are overcompensated and they're paid a lot. Same with our ortho surgeons too, um, where other surgeons are not paid as much. So they already kind of divided that workforce. Right. And yeah, so those surgeons that are paid a lot, it, they would lose money if they did unionize. They would have to kind of share the wealth in a way. But I think it would be better to have like a shared pool of money. Right. and disperse it evenly amongst surgeons, period, instead of doing fee-for-service, where depending on how many surgeries you do is how much money you make. I think that's a silly way where I think surgeons are going to be more focused on money then. How how fast can I work then? And how many right. can I do in a day? We're not robots. That's not, we shouldn't be working for 12-hour days right? doing surgeries. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the one thing that they uh, forget, it seems like, in a lot of uh, professions. They forget that we're not robots. <laughs> that's uh, They miss that part a lot because they seem to think that we, they just, you know, plug us in and we just do whatever it is they decide and it takes however long they decide and, you know, and that's not how things actually work. Okay. Human beings are human beings, so, uh, you know. But, uh, well, I really hope that we can, uh, yeah, more, uh, more, uh, people getting organized in healthcare and other places. And again, you know, just more solidarity. Um, you know, I hope 2023 is a, a year of solidarity where we can really connect a lot of these struggles together and, uh, you know, try to, try to preserve, uh, professionalism, you know, for teachers, for healthcare, uh, workers, uh, you know, and nurses and, uh, and really organize to uh, hopefully uh, make a better system that actually treats people like humans and uh, supports folks. Exactly. Well, thanks for chatting with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And that's our show. I wanted to end by giving a quick shout out to Starbucks workers that had the largest strike at Starbucks over this past weekend. Minnesota Historical Society workers who also had an action this weekend and also a big shout out to NHS workers, i.e. healthcare workers in the United Kingdom who have gone out on strike demanding a significant rise in pay, among other things. Remember, we keep us safe. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.